Well, good morning, LCM. Today's date is April 16th, 2023, and the title of today's message is Appetite Training. Appetite Training, or if you wanted a subtitle description, you could put on your notes, Weight Gain. We are in a wonderful time of reviving some old practices. Can you feel it this weekend? I mean, we've had a crawfish boil yesterday. Everybody's hands are all swollen from all the sodium. Come on now, we know. Oh, come on. We're not going to preach about your grotesque gluttony today. I promise that is not going to happen. Although it's the biggest athletic event I've seen some of you participate in a while. I mean, you broke out your workout clothes. No, 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 no. You were sweating and breathing heavy by the end of it. That's true. That's true. In addition to that, we had some old school practices like having worship with pastors Matt and Pastor Peyton up on this stage. The truth is, is you got, you see the podium back up here on the stage, a little old school. Look, we got Bibles in hand. We are ready to actually get after this thing today. So you can expect, are you ready to know what you can expect? You can expect that we're going to take off the gloves and we're going to go after every single person in this house. We've intentionally limited. Somebody say limited. Limited. We've actually limited the number of passages. We've eliminated all slides or media so that we can be completely unencumbered and go after what God is after today. So what we're telling you in advance is that nobody's safe. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Now, if we, now, I mean, like, I mean, I literally mean that nobody's safe. Like the restriction here on a stage is no longer there. If we need to calm down and look at you and sit next to you and preach to you today, we're going to do it. Because this is what God is after in our hearts is to cause an appetite to rise within us today. It's going to be an amazing day together. So you can go ahead and turn off your phones. Ignore the clock. Just go ahead and put that under your chair because you ain't going to be needing it today. Because we are going to go absolutely until God has gotten after everything in every heart that he wants to get to today. Before we jump into our text, we want you to know something else about this sermon in advance. The length of it is not yet determined. (laughs) The length will be determined by two factors. Somebody say two factors. Two factors. Do you know what the first is? Our appetite. Our ability to discern the leading of the spirit. We'll see how that goes today. We're trying to follow him wherever he wants to go. Somebody say second factor. factor. The second factor to the length, intensity, and specificity of the sermon will be your receptiveness, readiness, and response. So if you want us to preach for six hours, the best thing you could possibly do is be quiet, be still, and do not respond. If you want to have a vivacious hour in 10 minutes, then you should start responding right now. Today, in every sense of the word, is going to be a family experience. We're going to interact, we're going to use names, and we're going to talk. Speaking of a family experience, our family is not bound to this room alone. We're part of a one association that is the family of God. Our text this morning is going to begin with a revelation that came from our brothers at the Arising Church. It's both been encouraging us and convicting us to our very soul to consider what God showed them as it applies to us. 
So are you ready to interact with a family revelation? We're going to begin together in Exodus chapter 12. If you're wondering where to turn in Exodus 12, we're beginning in verse 1. So somebody say there when you're actually there. See, and while you guys are turning there, and right before Pastor Judah picks it up, this is going to be one of those days. We're just going to start calling out names now. Who's back there running the camera for us today? Ethan. This is not going to be a sleepy Ethan kind of day. This is going to be an excited Ethan. He's going to actually have to watch what's going on and move the camera so you can come back and watch this later. You ready, Ethan? All right. Exodus 12. He can do it. So verse 1 in Exodus says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, In the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So guys, let's begin to interact with this. Let's do it on an honest, Peshach kind of level. Is this actually the first month? No, not at all. This is not the first month. This is what God is saying shall be the first month for you. I want you to think about that for a minute. As we pick up in Exodus 12, what God is causing us to interact with is he's speaking to his people Israel. It's about a new beginning that is not actually the beginning. It's about a rebirth and a reset on the calendar, so to speak. Have you ever at any point in your life wanted a reset of the calendar? I mean, if you understand what I mean, like you can't really start over. What has happened has happened. And yet you're asking the almighty God to just give you a reset on the last week that you had. Or in Israel's case, the last year that you had. Saints, what is in view here through this entire chapter? Is about a renewal, a rebirth. It is about a people whom God has caused to receive a new beginning. Yeah. We're clearly speaking about a people that have interacted with Christ. And now the other thing that you need to know here. I mean, we've had an amazing rebirth, a calendar reset. Something you're going to find out by the end of the chapter. Is that there's an execution order in place. Did you hear when the Lord spoke to Moses and he said... To him in Egypt, there's an execution order in place for the firstborn for everyone who is in Egypt. So our story is now taking place with two dueling principles. One, a people group who've experienced a rebirth and who are existing while there is an execution order in place. Take a look at verse 3 with us. Tell all the congregation of Israel. Somebody say all. All. That on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Okay, so we're going to understand that God is now speaking after a place of rebirth, renewal, a restart in what they are doing. 
and the simultaneous execution order that's there. He's beginning to speak with them. And every man, everyone must listen, but every man has a responsibility. Every man has a responsibility to understand what is going on within his own household. See, we like to think as Westerners that the smallest indivisible unit of, of our society is the individual person. Somebody say that's wrong. That's wrong. The smallest indivisible segment of the Israeli population was a household. The household. So each man was required to understand that there was something going on and it was needed for his entire household. So the man, the head of every household was responsible. Now, let us help you to understand this. See, because it was the head of the household that was responsible to know how much the household needed to eat. The man, the head of the household, had to know about the hunger and what each member of his family could eat. Now, in our household, to be, to be perfectly honest, I just look at Christy and say, Christy, there's anywhere between 30 and 70 people coming over tonight. Get an appropriate amount of food ready. Go. Any man with me? I expect her to know the calculations based on families, the number of men, women, children that might even show up. I expect her to know that, and I expect her to do it joyfully, quickly, and very cheaply. I guess I should say inexpensively, but whatever. I expect her to know all of these things, but we have to kind of wrestle with what the scripture's actually telling us. Somebody say, speaking to me today. See, it was the head of the household that was responsible to know how much each person in the household needed to eat. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. That's why you're interacting with that. I mean, we have some amazing cooks in this house that three, four, five, six nights out of the week feed half of you. With that in mind, they have to be able to estimate not only what someone can eat today, but what someone might eat on a particular day. To give you an idea of what I'm saying, the activity level of children can greatly increase or decrease how much they want to eat for dinner. The training that a man who's an adult and is no longer growing has been through to stretch out his stomach and force more in can really affect how much he's going to eat on a dinner. I mean, we're talking about appetite training. I mean, some of you trained for yesterday. Like you were getting ready in advance, learning how to stretch your stomach further. You probably skipped breakfast, started drinking water in advance so that you could eat as much as you possibly could. I have a mushlomka for you. It took an excessive, ridiculous, I mean, just overwhelming amount of time in our ministry team meetings to figure out how to estimate how much crawfish you would eat. I, I mean, to the extent where we were sinning in frustration yeah. and had to repent. We fought with each other about it. <laughs> we, we fought. Men, there are two things you must grasp about this passage. 
One is that the Bible does not define you as a divisible unit. It defines your household as one unit. A man and a wife, when they are married, are one flesh. And everything that is under your charge in your domain is considered you. The second thing is that it's not your wife's job to know the hunger of your family. It is your job. So as you have that in mind, we're going to continue to interact with some of the coming verses. But you need to know, this requires an intimacy. This requires a knowledge about the activity level of your family, about the hunger of your family, about the factors that might increase or decrease their consumption on a particular evening. Now we're going to read verse 4 again. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Anybody in this room single, throw up your hand. We're going to have fun with you for a minute. If you're engaged and not married, throw up your hand. So what happens if in the eyes of God, you don't have a household yet? Might be well on your way. Looking forward to that date, Spencer. But you do not have a household in the eyes of God yet. God puts in a provision in advance that ensures no man, no woman, no child, no one in the assembly is excluded from the Lamb. But it requires that you partner alongside other families. It means that you need your neighbors so that you can consume the proper amount of lamb. Wow. Somebody say single. Single. But never alone. But never alone. No one in our assembly today is left out of what God is speaking to us from this message. Every man, every woman, it is your responsibility to consume the lamb. Now, as we talk about this for a minute, is it the intent that you stay single forever? No. Is it the intent that you cannot consume a lamb forever? No. no, the point is that you're partnering alongside others so that you can grow in your ability to consume the lamb. Yeah. That you not only increase your personal appetite, but you begin to raise a household that desires the lamb, and you can consume a whole one on your own. Did you get that? The whole point was to consume a whole lamb. You couldn't go to the lamb store and get a lamb quarter. This was an entirety of the lamb. I want a 16th. (laughs) No. I I want my own personal selection and personal portion of this. No. This was a singular lamb that you had to look at. Look at verse 5. In addition to it being a singular lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish. A year, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Okay. Now this is not you going down to the store and picking up a lamb. There's a difficulty in finding this. There's no perfect lamb store that you can go to. Pastor, there's some Africans that sell lambs just down the road, but I I don't think they were perfect. They, were, they had a few blemishes. They were definitely not perfect. Having to go through and go out into a pen and look and examine 
and find and search. This is not the easiest process. I mean, let us help you to understand how difficult this is. Let's just say maybe you were looking, maybe not a Merkava, maybe you were looking for a chariot. Let's just off the top of my head. Hypothetical. You have a two-wheel vehicle that is pulled by a lot of horses. Some in our modern day might call it a motorcycle. Maybe. But just hypothetically, let's just say, oh, I, Wade, was looking for a chariot of sorts. A modern day chariot is what I'm looking for. But it had to be a perfect one. A perfect one. I mean, a bike that was actually made for me, that was purposed for me. Do you know what, you know what, hypothetically that I would have to do? I'd have to go and uh, I would begin to look online. I'd look at all different types, uh, different sizes, uh, different engines. I'd begin and I would look through hundreds, nay, thousands. That's true. Thou I mean, just hypothetically speaking, I would look through thousands of motorcycles to try to find the bike that was made for me. I mean, I would continue to search and I would labor over it and I'd spend hours looking at it. And then when I'd narrowed it down to the perfect, you know, the perfect brand, a bike that was made for Wade. A bike, a bike that was made for Wade. A B M W. Oh my gosh. And then within that, a bike made for Wade, I would have to continue to look until I found the perfect one. One that wasn't too expensive, one that had everything, a perfect one made for me. Do you know how much time that would theoretically take? That would take a lot of time. But the end result was that I knew that I had to find one that was perfect. And that is what I had to then take into my home. To give you an idea of what it looks like to find a perfect lamb or perfect motorcycle, in this great search to find a perfect one. I mean, consider the lack of provisional exceptions in the word perfect. I mean, perfect. Like no zit here. No tuft of hair that is different, no foot or a little clove that is messed up, can't have a chipped nail. Perfect. So if you were looking for a lamb or a motorcycle and you realize, hey, this, this Honda looks great. It's reasonable. But it doesn't even come with a cruise control. That would not be a perfect motorcycle. Perfect. So it would be disqualified. Many things would come close to being perfect but you would be searching only for the BMW that would be perfect, or the lamb. The lamb that had no blemish, no defect, no problems whatsoever. Now add to that, the entire nation is looking for the same product that you are. So everyone in this room knows you gotta have a perfect motorcycle, and you're all searching for the same BMW because a Honda won't cut it. And you have to find one while everyone else is trying to find one. Are you beginning to understand the complexity? See, hypothetically, someone did find what they were looking for. And they never seemed to be off of it. The giant truck just sits in the driveway. 
But can you imagine if every one of you were looking for the exact same motorcycle and there's a limited number of perfect ones? Guys, while you're considering this and how difficult it would be, what would happen if you just accepted something close, nearly the same, because the other 35 people in the room already found the BMW and there were no more left, so you just accepted a Honda. I want you to contemplate that for a minute because the execution order is not necessarily on you. I mean, it would be on me personally, but not every man in the room. The execution order is for the firstborn that are within Egypt. So if you accepted a lamb that had a blemish, that had a chipped hoof, that was close to perfect, you'd wake up and your son would be dead. Leslie, I want you to think about that for a minute because you got your son next to you. If you did not find exactly what God prescribed, then you would wake up in the morning and find your son dead. Oh, we don't think about this enough. We're going to interact with this on a very personal level for just a minute before we advance because this is a family meeting. If I accept something that is close to what God prescribed, but is not perfect, Titus, my firstborn son, would be dead in the morning. Can you imagine if all Israel is searching for a perfect lamb and they don't just come out perfect? Not all of them are born perfect. How tempting it might be to accept something that is 90% of the way there. Thinking it'll be fine. But how fine would it be if I wake up and Titus is dead in his bed because I was not willing to fight for what was actually perfect? Saints, when we're talking about this kind of subject, we're going to force you because the word has forced us and our brothers that are rising exposed us to it. They interact with the things that God has required of you, but we accept less than perfect alternatives. To give you an idea of the application of what it looks like to find and consume the perfect lamb in your household, I want to ask you, what is your personal hunger level like? Or on a better note, what is the hunger of your household? Because it's not divided by just you. Your household is a single entity. To take that question further, not only what is your hunger for quantity like, but quality like. See, it is the head of a household. If you're currently the head of a household, raise your hand. We're preaching to you with your hands raised. You can lower them now. But we suspect that if you get this message right, everyone else in the room, you'll take care of. Your family study time. Your reflection of the word of God and your family's hunger for it. What is their hunger level like? Is it a whole lamb? Let me jump in here for just a second. Are you guys feeling the difference between your hunger level and, your family? and the family's hunger level? Yes. How long have you allowed that to be a separate category in your mind? I'm doing pretty good. I don't really know about my wife and my kids, but I'm, I love the Lord. I'm studying. I'm hungry for the Lord. That is not the smallest divisible unit. No. 
That's a fraction of what the actual smallest unit is. Your household is the one that determines how hungry, the level of hunger that's there. Not just you. Raise your hand again if you're the head of a household. It's not just your hunger. It's your household's hunger. Thank you. My God. Already you can start to feel why we need a day where we're talking about our appetite training. Already you're starting to understand the difference between looking at ourselves as the smallest unit possible. And I do mean to say it exactly that way. Keeping a small perspective on what God is doing and not even really thinking about your household as a singular, indivisible unit. That is where we are today. So let's keep moving. Let's keep moving in the text. Verse 6 says, And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So look, you've gone through this whole process. You found the BMW. I mean... The bike made for Wade. Thank you very much. It's superior to the Honda in every way. <laughs> you love it. You're, you shall keep it. Keep it. Until the 14th day. Would you have a decreasing or a growing attachment to the theoretical BMW? Increasing. Increasing, yeah. One midweek service, I was preparing to speak with a couple brothers. And while that was going on, I started to get photos of a random street rat that we now call Baloo. By the time I got home from the service, my entire family was completely attached to this little street rat that I still still have. He's currently sitting in my office. That took all of about four hours. By the end of the next day, he had a name. What do you think four days with this perfect lamb that the entire household has been searching for and has now brought into your home and you shall keep it? or care for it for four days would create. See, a part of this process is a growing affection, a growing attachment to the lamb that is required by God prior to slaughtering it. But that's not all we want to gain from verse six. Taking the lamb into your home, you know that it's going to get named. It took 24 hours. By the way, I was there on that day that Pastor Judah was receiving these, these beautiful pictures with large puppy dog eyes that oh were God. Sasha's eyes. <laughs> please, please. And then the picture of the dog. I've actually had some of you in this room try to name my motorcycle for me. The hypothetical one. The hypothetical one, of course. I've had people suggest names, and so far they've been pretty bad, JJ. I mean, it wasn't JJ, but it was someone in his household. So the idea of the growing... One unit. One unit. It's JJ. Uh, so you grow in your affection. You grow in how much you love this animal. You've cared for it. You can imagine your little ones on that soft, fluffy wool of the sheep snuggling up in there and probably taking a little nap. Oh, what, taking a, taking a selfie, a, a singular picture of the kids asleep on the lamb. 
when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. That is the inevitable progression of this, but we want to show you something that our friends in the net translation actually help us with. The exact same verse in the net. We want you to take a look at it. It says, you must care for it until the 14th day of this month. And then the whole community of Israel will kill it around sundown. The word for lamb is not in the Hebrew text. It is rightly translated, they will kill it. And by the way, when we want you to understand this word, Israel was to kill the singular masculine it. It's not a plural word here. It is a singular masculine term. It could be even described appropriately as him. Then the whole community of Israel will kill him at sundown. So let's put this together for you. All Israel, or the whole community, is to kill him, the singular masculine lamb that dies for the community of Israel. I can see a couple of you are getting the ramaz, many are not. This is clearly about them killing their lambs. This is a teaching that is to be carried out for posterity in Israel's sake. But it's a hint in the scripture, a ramaz, that is letting you know this is not just about their lambs, plural. What it literally says is the whole community of Israel will kill him, as in the masculine lamb around sundown. In many ways, the law is foreshadowing what would happen with Christ, the things that we've just celebrated in the last few weeks. To make sure that you understand the picture, one begin to give you just a tiny bit of review. This chapter started with a people who had a new beginning, a rebirth. It wasn't their first day of the year, but it became their first day of the year because something was regenerated in them. Then began to speak to the heads of households about knowing the hunger for the lamb, the hunger for him, the perfect lamb. We learned that close wasn't good enough, that the head of the household had to find him, the perfect lamb, and that the family had a growing attachment, would name it, would care for it for days prior to experiencing the death of him, the lamb. See, it in some ways is a better translation, and in others, it doesn't convey the masculine nature of it. What the law is foreshadowing is that we would be engaged in assessing the hunger of our families, growing an attachment to the lamb, and then killing him. Why don't we keep going in verse 7? Verse 7 says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Okay? So let's, let's continue on in what the lamb and the consumption of the lamb is teaching us here. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with construction or just English like me and didn't know what a lintel was, it's the two sides of the doorpost and the top frame, the ornate part that is looking down on the rest of the door. In other words, it is the most publicly visible place on your house. So not only did you have to slaughter him, the lamb, 
that you searched out, that you found, you had your children care for and name, but then you had to dip into his blood and spread it on your house. You had to actually, at the, at the offering of this lamb, you had to be there. Your whole family is watching it. You collect the blood from this animal that you just sacrificed, and then you take the blood and you begin to put it on the doorpost. You begin to put it on the lentil. You put it in the most public place possible. My goodness. You know, what, what if that, can you imagine in this scenario, knowing that the order of execution is still hanging upon the entire land that you are dwelling in? What if you decided that it was just too gruesome? It was just too painful. You know, the truthfully, truthfully, it's just not socially acceptable to put blood in such a public place. You, you know what would happen. What if, what if you just decided to put the blood somewhere else on the house? You're kind of going for this thing, but you don't really like where it is. Then you wake up in the morning, and my, first son Gabriel, my firstborn son Gabriel is dead on the front porch. Deciding to do this some other way, other than the way that is prescribed, brings about death. But there's something that the lamb and this entire process is meant to teach us. This process is meant to teach us that in our new beginning, our rebirth, from the time that you were born again, you still need a hunger assessment for your household. You still need to search and inspect for what the perfect lamb looks like, find it, possess it, and bring it to your household. It's meant to teach us that our households are supposed to personally care for the lamb, know the name of the lamb, interact with the lamb, be intimately familiar with the lamb. And that the slaughter of that lamb something that must be publicly posted. Hear me, church. Hear me, heads of households. If the blood of the lamb is not publicly visible in the most conspicuous place on your household, then the death angel does not pass over you. It's possible for you to be saved and your son to perish. We must get our hands covered in the blood. We must spread it in the prescribed spot, the most public of all places. All of this is for you and your household because the execution order is in effect. All Egypt is under the wrath of God and the angel of death is coming for the sons who are not sufficiently under the blood. Can we tell you that we have found rebirth? We have found rebirth as a people. We know what it looks like to be born again and born again again. But we're still in the land of Egypt. The promised land is ahead of us in the age to come. But we are between Egypt and reaching that which God has promised. You are not in a resurrected flesh. You are not eternally in the fully manifested presence of the King of Kings. You have heard the call of God and are journeying towards the direction that he wishes for you to go. Our story is written in the time between Egypt and the promised land. And there's an execution order in effect. Let's read verse 8. 
Thou shalt eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. So it's not enough that you found the lamb, selected the lamb, took it into your house, sacrificed it, dipped your hand and your family's hands in the blood and put it on the doorpost, but now you got to eat it. Somebody say, you got to eat it. The whole thing. Head, legs, inner parts. Well, at least can we have some good, uh, you know, a yeast roll with it? No. There's no leaven that you can add. How about, how about some, uh, some of my favorite spices? You know, I mean, thinking back to days in India where you're like, yeah, mutton curry, it's, it's kind of yummy. No. You don't get to add yeast into this process. It's got to be unleavened bread. You don't get to add any type of spices or sugary substitutes into what you're doing. Bitter herbs. It's bitter herbs. There's a bitterness to this process, and you have to eat the whole thing. Somebody say the whole thing. The whole thing. You cannot leave any of it, and you can't decide that you find a better way that you'd like to cook it. You know, I'd really like to make kind of a mutton soup here. No. You have to put this sacrificed animal that you've cared for over the fire. The only way that is acceptable for it to be cooked is as if you were born here in Texas and it had to be barbecue style. You had to put it on the fire or it would not be an acceptable offering to the Lord. And this is still the part of what we were learning about the lamb. So what if your household had no appetite for the undesirable parts of the lamb? I mean, we live in a cellophane society. I look at organs with disgust. I have friends who read to me about the health benefits of eating liver. I don't care if I die, I'm not eating it. But if Titus was dead in the morning, I'd eat anything. What is the appetite of your family for the bitter and less desirable parts of the lamb? I mean, all of our children love the sweet little manna for the day that they can learn to recite and you praise them and you give them a sticker. But how do they love the lamb in all of its entirety? Men of God, you're a representation of the rest of your household. What is your desire for the whole word of God? Do you have an appetite for the things that are bitter in your life? Do you have an appetite for the things that are less desirable, that aren't lamb chops, but are the inner parts, the inner workings of the lamb? The things that other men don't want to eat. The personal applications for this go on and on, but I think you're beginning to get it. What is your family's appetite for the word in the will of God, both in the cute, trite memorization and the difficult things that cause you to have to stomach down that which is hard? Because you're one unit. Those that live in your household are your unit, not just your children. Trust me, we take that very seriously, Stephanie. 
She lives with us and she knows that we pastor her like the rest of our family because we're a unit. I'm responsible for it. In this house, we need to take some assessment of the whole lamb. Failing to eat the whole lamb means that there's an exposure to fire. Verse 10 says, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This passage is often misunderstood. Men read this and they don't catch when it says you shall let none of it remain until morning, that this is a command. You shall not let any of the lamb remain uneaten. It just so happens to come with an immediate provision for your failure to do so. We're going to help you to understand this. We could tell that you, you don't quite get this verse yet. There's a command that you cannot, you must not, you will not let any remain until the morning. So what does that mean if you have leftovers from what that you assigned and the type of lamb that you got? That means that you've wrongly assessed the hunger of your entire household. Oh, they can eat the whole lamb. My household is right. They're hungry for the word. We'll see. A failure to assess rightly the hunger of your household is what this verse is all about. Let us help you to get this. You believe that you were further along than you actually were, and then something happened, and you see that there's lamb left over, and you've got to deal with that before the morning. You've assumed that it was taking care of itself by just trying to go ahead and close our eyes to it, fall asleep to it. Let's just move on, and in the morning, we'll feel better about it. That's a failure to assess the hunger of your household. Church, the question that we're putting before you, and actually the assessment when you have something left over, is that you fail to cultivate the required hunger in your home for the entire perfect lamb that was selected. Now, if you fail, if you've come up short, if you fail to have the sober judgment about the condition of your house, somebody say my house. My house. The way to rectify that was to burn the remaining parts. We're having to deal again with the fire that's there. The lamb would be consumed. The leftover lamb would be consumed as if in the fires of hell instead of you. There was a penalty. There was a judgment that was seen in the fire. And it was meant to teach you something. You had to look at it. And you couldn't look away from it because it was there. And again, on this first occurrence, you're literally dealing with the execution order of death upon you. But praise God. He has provision for you. Praise God that the moment that you recognize that there was a lack of hunger in your household, there's a way for you to be able to be rectified, for you to deal with this so that you can be in right standing and that this execution order would not be upon you, but would pass over you. Somebody say praise God to that. The provision is for those who recognize I did not correctly evaluate the hunger for the lamb in my household. And those who admit it and burn it up so that they are not. 
Saints, can I speak to some of you who have stepped out in repentance in the last few weeks? The provision is for those who recognized it, admitted it, and caused it to be burned up in their place so that they could increase the appetite of their lives and their household. Praise God if you have found the gift of repentance that is there for you. Woe unto you who did not find repentance in the previous weeks, but instead hid the leftover lamb. Hid your lack of appetite. Fed it to the family dog. Did anything but expose it and burn it. Those that pretended that they had sufficient hunger when the household, in fact, did not have the required appetite for the lamb. Well, they end up experiencing the fires of hell instead of the sacrificial offering. Saints, the cowardly will not enter the kingdom to come. We love in Christian circles to point to the man who openly repented, who had an obvious sin. And as our brother said on this past Thursday, think about the way that we are grateful to not be like that man. It's been in this room a far bigger issue is that we have many men who would not consider themselves sexually immoral who would not consider themselves liars. But cowardice has a grip on you. Cowards will not enter the kingdom of God. You're scared to death that you'll be found out to not have a real appetite for the word. That your family will be shown to be insufficient and you're trying to hide it all of the time. Riddled with insecurity. Riddled with posturing. Riddled with the things that you think cover over your own lack. Your desire to present well actually keeps you from experiencing the redemption that the Lamb provides as the Lamb, Him, the perfect one, is burned in your place. Our souls shudder for those who lie to themselves and the Holy Spirit by acting like they've consumed the whole ham but haven't. See, life is found for those who will expose their lack of hunger. We're going to talk briefly about the other things that are satiating your household's hunger. Junk food that killed their appetites. Can any mother in the room recognize why your child is not hungry for dinner? When it's something that they love and would normally eat. You have an expectation. You know what their appetite has been trained to be. But then they don't want to eat what you labored and cooked for. What has crept in? They've been snacking on other things. They've been consuming other things than the actual nourishing food that you prepped, that you planned, that you put the right ingredients in for them to grow. See, I think we would have a much larger appetite in this room if we had a sober assessment of the things that are stealing our appetite. See, for some, it's entertainment. In fact, for most, for others in the room, it's work and busyness. You'll find something to do rather than consume the lamb. You'd rather read a chapter, gain something that is like a snack that was good, than consume the whole lamb. Man, I got to go clean the yard. Man, it's time to work on my truck. It's time to go for a run. 
I got my snack and it was good. Other things are stealing your appetite for what really matters. The lamb. God's kindness is displayed in giving us the opportunity to repent. If we ignore, lament, or hate the fire of the altar, hate the things that are being burned up, hate that it's exposed, well, it actually endangers our whole household to the hellfire. But if you will allow the exposure of his word, the exposure of your real appetite to burn away the things that you missed and go home and increase the hunger of your household for next time, well, then an execution order actually becomes your empowerment to greater and greater Amen. hunger. Let's read verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So not only did you have to eat it, but there was a method, a manner in which you were supposed to eat it. See, Exodus 12 has been teaching us something throughout these verses. Households that have experienced a new beginning, a new and a rebirth. To have a hunger assessment, a righteous and right hunger assessment of your entire household. A process of searching and inspecting the perfect lamb. Care and attachment to that lamb where you've named it or named him. The slaughter of that lamb. And you get the blood on you and you spread it in the prescribed spot. The most public of all places. All of this is for you and your household because there's the execution order in effect. That all of Egypt is under. You've got to roast it with no part of it being left it out. And now you have to eat it. And you have to eat it all. And anything that's coming up short, you have to burn it in the fire. Now, with all that said, there's a manner in which you're supposed to eat it. You have to do it in a certain way. Not just getting a task done. But there's a certain attitude and manner with which you must do this. You have to have your belt on. You have to have your sandals on. You have to have your staff in hand. And you have to eat this thing in haste. There's a method to which you do this. You've got to understand. It's not just kind of a lazy days where you're just reclining back. You've got your belt, your sandals, your staff. You are ready to go. You are standing and you are eating in haste. With a fire, with a passion, with something that is moving you. You're not just taking your time. Let's get to a leisurely pace of how we need to eat the whole lamb. You know, we'll have plenty of time. We're going to get to that. Let's just take our time and enjoy. That is not what this is about. Your consumption as between you and your household of the lamb has got to be one that is ready, that is prepared, that has staff in hand, and you are eating it with the same type of haste that God is trying to teach you about. You are responding to his instructions in the exact same manner. In the exact same, you are reflecting exactly what God is feeling in this moment. Because you as the household, as the head of the household, you've got to be ready. You guys know what these, these items are representing. Your belt, your sandals, your staff in hand, and the attitude with which you carry. See, that's why you as a head of household, you're not the singular individual unit. It's your entire household that is. Yeah. Not how ready are you. Not that you try to eat the word in haste. Because by the way, if you think that you can and your family doesn't, then you're really not eating in haste anyway. 
You really aren't learning the lesson of Exodus 12 and the lamb. There's got to be done in eights. Because remember, what happens if you drift off to sleep while this is going on? Oh, my belly's getting full. There's death that's available, that's there for you. You wake up from your slumber, from your sleep, and your firstborn is dead. There's a reason that there has to be a type of haste, a mannerism with which we eat this. Because there is life on the line, there is death afoot, and these people of God have to respond rightly to him, to the lamb, by consuming him in completeness with haste. We're at the crux where we're about to turn a corner, but I'm not going to turn the corner until we accomplish everything we intended to. If your son is sleeping in the room right now with his eyes closed, Zachariah, perhaps you as an individual should assess your own appetite for the word. If your household has less obvious problems, like a desire to slowly get to the word, slowly get around to eating the lamb, then saints, men of God, it is time that you put on your sandals, yes! pick up yes! your staff, yes! and command yourself and then your household to consume the lamb with haste. Amen. We are no longer able to go slow in these things. As a body, we've been finding things in our own lives that we don't like. New examples of Nabal and flesh coming out as we feel the weight increasing. Do you know how you get stronger, men of God? You learn to eat. If the load is going to increase, then your consumption of the lamb must increase alongside it. Increase of the load is not meant to kill you. It's meant to provide the sufficient stress to create a hunger in you that will build you. We're going to read verse 12. But remember, you live in Egypt. You don't live in the promised land yet. The only escape from the execution order is found in the consumption of the perfect lamb. Can you feel us in that our ability to consume the lamb must grow? Yeah. Does anybody in this room feel a somberness as a result of it when you reflect on your own house? For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Saints, give me your eyes for a minute. Look up out of your Bible and look at me. The execution order is on the land that you currently live in. You have a responsibility to grow your appetite to consume the whole lamb. All of us in some way are in peril. And you know what else is true? The execution order was never meant for you. The execution order is not on you. 
It is for the gods of Egypt. It is for the things that have enslaved you. It is for the things that have punished your generations and made them servants of wickedness. God has not put an execution order on you. He's put it on the land and this world system. And he provided for you a lamb so that you would be clean. He's judging this world. It now stands condemned because you could not find a perfect lamb. He provided you one. Because you are not a perfect head of household. He provided a head that is the head of God's house, the church. God's intention was never to execute you. It was to execute the things that have entangled you, enslaved you, snared you, made you work for things that do not last. He's actually coming to free you from Egypt. This execution order is not meant to kill you. It is meant to kill the things that have bound you in years past. He is here to set you free today. We must eat the lamb. Somebody say hallelujah to that. The death order is to eliminate the enemies and set you free. That's why that we are where we are. Because Adonai has sent you the perfect lamb. Because you couldn't produce it yourself. You couldn't find it. So he sent him. He sent him and gave him to you. See, this perfect lamb that we've been talking about is also the perfect head of God's household. Colossians 2.10 says that he is the head of all rule and all authority. See, he was sent because you're incapable of being the perfect head of your own house. Can somebody agree to that? Yes. Yes. But we can quickly agree to that. Now, look, we promised you that this would be a gloves-off kind of message. Now that you have some idea of your responsibility to your household, we want to see the Lamb of God and the head of God's house in action as he teaches us how to get this right. Are you guys ready for that? See, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6 right now. And we're going to pick up in the middle of Jesus' teaching. But you need to know that the chapter begins with a discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding the apostles' consumption of food on the Sabbath. Jesus rebukes the religious leaders and reminds them, the men with the son of David should be hungry while on the missions of the Lord. Now, let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, verse 20, to see Jesus teaching his own sons. Somebody say the execution. The execution. Isn't for me. Isn't for me. This is Jesus in context. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Saints, the perfect head of household, the perfect lamb. You know where his eyes were on? His household. Jesus Family, he said, were those who do the will of the Father. His eyes were on his disciples, his household. He's looking at them. He's assessing their hunger. He's looking to see what appetite do they have. He's training their appetite for the lamb. So he begins to teach them, recognizing that there needs to be more hunger there. He doesn't leave them there. He ensures that their hunger grows. 
that they will be ready to eat all of the lamb and everything that comes so that they can set the world on fire for Jesus after he is resurrected and ascended. And he begins to say, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Saints, I want you to grasp this. Jesus is looking at his household, those that have been entrusted to him. And the fact that he found a deficiency in hunger did not deter him. It inspired him. It moved him. This teaching comes on the heels of him putting his eyes on the appetite of his disciples. He says, blessed are you when you hunger. Blessed are you when you weep. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Because the reward will be great as your father feeds you. Amen. Saints, I want to tell you, blessed are you who repent. Blessed are you who are feeling the strain and you're weeping over your own condition. Amen. Blessed are you when you're hungry for something more than what you currently are. Amen. This is not something to hide. This is actually what our Father is trying to create in us. He is trying to create a hunger. He is trying to create a desperation. Because he will cause us to be able to consume the whole lamb. The very recognition of the need for hunger is a place to start. It's a place to begin cultivating. It is the hope that says I will not always be what I am today. My father will feed me. He will teach me to eat the whole lamb. And I will teach them, my household, to eat the whole lamb. See, if we can recognize that hunger. If we can recognize where we don't have it. And ask the almighty God for it. Cutting out every other snack. Everything that satiates you. Other than the actual will of God. Well, he'll create something that will make you into more than you currently are. He goes on to give woes to those who are not mourning. To those who fed themselves on other things. Those who did not burn the leftover lamb. Who pretended to be better than they really were. Hiding themselves. Hiding the fact that they don't have an appetite for the lamb. Saints, I have to tell you again. Revelation 21.8. The first on the list. It's not murderers. It's not the sexually immoral. It is the cowards. The biggest threat that is facing this body is not the obvious sin of the few. It is the cowardice of the many. We must uproot cowardice in our lives. Cowardice is what causes you to not stand up and say where you need to increase your appetite. 
Cowardice is what causes you to not address your household. Cowardice is what causes you to be unable to fight for someone else's beginning. Cowardice is your enemy. Cowardice is what is standing between you and the consumption of the whole lamb. Today, we must put it to death. I'm choosing not to read to you the coming verses. You can read it on your own time. But woe to those who are not hungry now. Our hunger for the lamb has not matched the actual pattern in the word. We're sharing this with you because Exodus 12 is tearing us up. There is an execution order in place. But hear me again. It is not for you. Assad, the king of kings, does not want to execute you. No. Nolan, the king of kings, does not want to execute you. No. Justin, the king of kings, does not want to execute you. No. The execution order that is in effect is to free you from the things that have always enslaved you. Maybe we be a blessed people who are weeping, mourning, and hungry now as God trains our appetite for the lamb. Jesus is both the perfect lamb of God and he is the head of our household. He's given us a new beginning. That is not at all the extent to which his salvation has extended to us. A brief survey of the gospels will show you that Jesus is acting like the head of a house, helping his sons, helping his household. Learn to increase their appetite for the lamb. Learn to stand up, to pick up their staff, to be able to be eating in haste, to be ready to eat the word of God. We have a small sampling for you because we're going to stand up in this house together. Our God is not looking to execute us. He is freeing us. Come on now. Come on now. Church, the idea that the recognition of your hunger is designed to cultivate your hunger is a beautiful thing. It's designed to give us hope and that we can stand up in exactly what God is calling us to. Since you're there in Luke 6, look at verse 7. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So that man got up and he stood there. Church, this is exactly what it's like when the king of kings, the perfect lamb and the perfect head of household arrives on the scene. He's addressing a man who has deformity in his works, in his walk, in what he's able to do. He's got a shriveled hand, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, stand up. You need to stand up. This is not a time for you to mourn and weep and wail in those kind of ways. You've got to stand up, realize the condition that you're in, and stand up in what God is saying to you. And in that moment, he is able to make you stand. He is able to cause you to be able to reach out your hand and do exactly what God wants you to do. He's going to cause you to increase in your ability to consume the land when you stand up. Just as he says, this is not a standing up in the back. This is a standing up in front of everyone saying, I have a shriveled hand, but my God is going to help me. 
See, he's going to be able to cause you to put your hands, those hands that have now been made well. Because remember, the smallest unit of this is not you as an individual. It is about your household. So when we rise up, when we stand up, we stretch out our hand and watch God's power come into us. Who is the power for? It is for us to take that now extended hand and lay it upon our family and watch them have the same power that we just experienced. This is the perfect lamb that we are consuming. This is the perfect head of household. Robert Burnett, stand up. Jaron, stand up. We want to speak to you by the Spirit of God and say that he is causing you to stand up and stretch out your hands. Rob, there's not an execution order on your life. There is a healing of your hands and your work. It is so that you can lay your hands on your household and the households he will join you to and bring life. Jaron, there's not an execution order on you. He's causing you to stand up in your faith. He's showing you what it looks like to have all eyes on you and be comfortable obeying the will of God. The gospel of Luke continues. In Luke 8, 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus said, stop wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. I don't know what parts of your life look like they are dead, but Christ says they're asleep because they can be awakened again. They laughed at him. They laughed at him knowing she was dead. Can I tell you what an encouraging thing it is that your current unbelief does not hinder his resurrection power? But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. My child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Look, I don't know what areas of your life like Jarius. What areas of your home look like a stillbirth? A child that never matured, was never able to grow. But God is saying in this room that he'll resurrect it. He'll cause his spirit to return, to come into you again. Notice that Jarius is not crying out for healing for himself. What is he crying out to the Savior for, heads of households? What does Jesus tell them to do with her as soon as the spirit has resurrected her? We got to train her appetite. We have to train our appetite and we have to become disciplined to feed what has been entrusted to us. Not with junk food, not with snacks, but the lamb of God in its entirety. Saints, I want to tell you a secret. As you fight to increase your own hunger. As you plead and reach into the lives of your children, like Jarius did. God will not only increase your ability to consume the lamb, but he will do it for them. And you will find the power of the lamb 
flowing through you into them. As you reach into your house to cause them to get up and consume the lamb, you will find the mighty working of his power flowing through you in ways that you never have while you were crying out for yourself. Some of you have been here for over a decade or nearing two. We can preach all day long about what needs to change in you. We can preach all day long about what needs to change in me. But you know what has the biggest transformative effect in me? Fighting to increase the hunger of my household, which includes you. I find God transforming me and my own spiritual walk grows as I train others' appetite. See, many times I wish that the reason I did what was right was just because I loved the lamb. And I'm working on growing my appetite for him every day. But often the reason I stand is because I know what will happen to you if I don't. Heads of households, you need to stop dividing your unit. You are not an individual, Brandon. You're the head of a household that is one entity under heaven. Tom and Martha, you're one entity under heaven. There is no such thing as individuality. Paul and Annette, are you hearing me? Give those in your care something to eat. This is a huge shift that can go on inside of the men's hearts right now. Do you realize that what, what was said to Jairus and to the family there? Stop your wailing. Stop wailing. And then you can turn to your family and say, my child, get up now. We cannot continue to be wailing about our own condition. You don't have that right, and you don't have that privilege. you got to stand up and worry about the household that you are leading. You've got to be able to put those things behind you and feed them. You don't have the option to not feed them. Quit thinking that you do. Stop wailing and watch God's power come. Luke 7, 15, uh, 7, 14. Then he went up and touched the coffin they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. This is what God is raising up in this house today. When we stop wailing, when we watch him come in and move in us, we turn and immediately watch our family be resurrected. This is the widow of Nain. This is her only son. This was going to impact her household. And the perfect head of household came in and said, you get up. You get up now. There is death upon you, but you get up. And what does he do? He immediately sat up and began to speak. And Jesus says, go back to your mother. Strengthen that household. You go back and feed on that which I have given you. Oh, I don't think you heard, Pastor. The widow of Nain had no other family. Her household was about to be cut off because of stagnancy and death that had occurred. But Jesus would not have it in the life of that woman or that household, and he won't have it in yours. He will say to you, get up, rise. He will not let your household be cut off if you will cling to him, if you will consume him, if you will ask him. He will heal you and resurrect your household. I don't know what area of death you feel like cannot be raised and you're cut off, but I'm telling you, face it today and ask the almighty God to breathe resurrection in you because he will. The execution order is not for you. It is for the things that have enslaved you. Listen to this in Luke chapter 10 and verse 22. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples. Then the perfect head of household turned to his household, and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Church Jesus as the perfect lamb, as the perfect head of house, he's revealing the kingdom of God to those within his household. He's awakening their hunger and he's helping them to stand ready to eat with haste and to eat of the perfect lamb of God. But there's something that is beautiful that captured my heart. In verse 23, it says, blessed are the eyes. In verse 23, it said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. He did not look at them and say, blessed are your eyes. He's saying, blessed are the eyes that see. And God is causing us to be able to see and hear his will today. He's giving us a revelation about a growing hunger, about the fact that the execution order was not for us, but it was to liberate us, to free us from our enemies that we could not defeat on our own. This is a beautiful, beautiful, and an incredible thing that God is blessing us with. Your eyes can see. You've seen the word come alive in this house. You've heard the very truth of heaven rain down upon you. Blessed are your eyes, Ubong, because you are seeing and hearing what God is wanting to do inside of us and what he is doing because that lamb, that perfect lamb has been given and he is increasing our hunger today and he's going to do it in each and every person. As we're nearing to our point of action, we're going to return to Luke 6. I'm picking up in verse 38. This entire discourse was on what it looks like to be a son of God, one who consumes the whole lamb. And Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Man of God, I want to tell you that the secret to overcoming cowardice, the secret to overcoming the things that war against your spirit, it's not focusing on sinning less personally. It's learning what it is to pour yourself out in a good measure because your father will pour it back into you with more power than you ever had before. He also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Saints, being like your teacher means that like Jesus in the examples you just heard, you got to learn to reach down into the lives of those that are around you, starting in your household. Make them stand. Tell them, my child, get up, rise, come out of death. God will cause you to be able to train their appetite, to make them stand and eat in haste. And in your own life, he will supernaturally renew you as you take your eyes off of yourself and stop quivering in fear and learn what it is to risk it all for those who are around you. 
It's time that we learn to raise the station of our households. Learn to raise the hunger and the ability to consume the lamb in those that are around us. As we increase the hunger for the lamb and those around us, reaching down, calling them up to make them able to stand, Adonai will pour a good measure from his mighty throne into you. You will actually find that the power of God runs through you for them. We're going to pick up in an unusual place. In a passage that is usually poorly exegeted. And I've heard terrible sermons on. But today we're going to learn to understand it. We're going to Luke 10, 38. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Somebody say appetite training as you're turning. Verse 38 says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Somebody say many things. Many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, as we are engaging with this, a very familiar passage, but we want to make a connection with you today. We want to remind you that chapter divisions are not in the text. And without a continuous flow into chapter 11, which is the very next verse, we're left to believe that this is here to encourage us to neglect our household chores. Sermons that try to split the differences between the two of these are really actually just stupid. The point of this story of explaining the one thing that is necessary is in what the words and the teachings that are coming right after it. Luke is going to help us to understand this in a special way. Look at Luke 11 in verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Saints, consider and remember that Luke is not giving you a detail of everything that has happened. He is jumping from story to story, connecting points for a reason. He moves from the one thing that is necessary in the mind of Jesus to the disciples asking Jesus, how do we pray like you do? You're all well aware that this is a unique occurrence. There's no other time that the disciples directly ask Jesus to teach them something in this kind of manner. What is happening here is Luke is pointing to the one thing that matters. How Jesus learned to reach into heaven. How Jesus was able to reach into heaven. And find the one thing that mattered. The actual will of God in a moment. The thing that Jesus is affirming in Mary is that she's unconcerned with anything other than consuming the teachings of the Lamb in that moment. We need to remember that this left off with the only thing that was considered necessary by Jesus himself. And now we're about to hear how Jesus directs his disciples to pray. He teaches them to only pray about the will of God 
in the provision of God in their moment, not the many things that they might be anxious about. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. The areas we didn't consume all of your land. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is where the idea of the Lord's Prayer stops in most people's minds. They hear it as a select story. They think Mary and Martha is just a random event about household chores. You learn in catechism or in your little Sunday school class to quote the Lord's Prayer. But Luke is not done. He's still telling you what the only thing is that matters in your life. He continues. He goes on to teach them through a parable about the one thing that matters. Before we read it, notice that we just left a discussion about the only thing that matters. And Jesus is now teaching his disciples to pray for the sustaining will of God on earth. He is the perfect lamb and the perfect head of household teaching his house. Verse 5 says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So the only thing that matters or is necessary is the hunger for the lamb and the food that comes from heaven itself. This is exactly what we know John 34, 34 to say. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Church, the only thing that matters. Somebody say only thing. Only thing. The only thing you need to be praying for. The only thing that you need to have the persistence, the boldness, or as the ESV says, the impudence for is to obtain the food that is the perfect lamb of God, the very will of God on earth. Church, we have to ask. We have to seek. We have to knock. We have to fight for the hunger and the provision of the lamb in the members of our own household. Beyond just that for ourselves, but rather for our entire household. See, when a man does this, see, it's not just the guest that finds the bread, but so does his whole household. He's doing it for someone else, and his household is blessed as a result. In case you missed it as we were moving along, the rich friend here who has what is needed is Jesus, the very Lamb of God. Going to him and finding the food and eating the entirety of the lamb is what we're looking at. Church, let's just say it to you again. The only thing that matters is our consumption of the lamb. Doing what the lamb would do. Being in the actual will of the Father. So that leads us to an important question as we get ready to close here in the next few minutes. How does the hunger of your soul, how goes the hunger of your soul and that of your household. See, there is a death order that it's in play, but it's not for you. You're able through the perfect lamb and your hunger for him, you can have that death order pass over you. 
See, the coming verses tell you what must rise in us and how we find both the hunger and provision that we need. The problem is not the morality of service or doing household chores or attending to legitimate needs. The problem is that Martha is satiated by every other thing than actually eating the Lamb of God. But Mary will not be denied. She will sit at his feet. She will knock on the door. She will seek and ask until she is consumed the whole lamb and everything that Jesus has to teach. I'm going to ask you again. How goes it with your own appetite? Does your appetite need training? Does the appetite of your household need training? Then listen to the words of Jesus. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Saints, as you learn to become like your teacher, like your perfect lamb and your head of household, reaching into those that are around you, knocking on the door for your household, and for those who come to you, you'll find the actual supernatural empowerment of heaven. Not only will those in your care, but you personally will be well fed on the Lamb of God. We must rise in haste. We must learn what it is to seek and knock and be unwilling to be distracted by the many other things that compete for your appetite. The only thing that matters is the consumption of the Lamb and the consumption of the Lamb will actually make you hungry for more lamb. You can be empowered in this very moment. Verse 11 and 13 go on to say, What father among you, if a son ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We ended in worship by exalting the character of our God. Our God is a Father who desires to feed you. Increase your appetite and ask. And He will give it to you and your household. We want to reemphasize a prophetic message. What the Spirit is saying to you today. And then we are going to respond to this message by killing the things that have competed for our appetite. And we are going to stand in the will of God. This is not going to be a somber close. Sound booth, the lights are going to stay on. If the heads of this household can learn to rise up, to stand in the call of God, everything else will be cured as it is cured in you. So we say to you today, LCM... Get up and stand in front of everyone. Your hands will be healed as you stretch them out. God is able to cause you to be able to stand for the sake of your household. He will reach down and empower you and your household will be made hungry as a result of it. Worship team, this is going to be a minute, so don't rush. If you heard the words about cowardice, or sexual immorality that are in the same category and one of the two ripped into you 
because it's been stealing your confidence, stealing your ability to pour into those around you, and it is killing your appetite. Then we say to you, my child, get up in the name of Jesus today. Some of you young men hear me. If demonic thoughts of offense are your own disqualification, and I'm talking to you old men too, it's just easier for the singles. Get up, my child. Do not allow those thoughts to cloud your judgment anymore. You are a son of God, and he's calling you out by name. If you've been slow in your personal consumption and your household's consumption of the lamb, If you're sitting here today and you realize, at best I've been snacking or I've been eating, but I'm doing it on my own. My house doesn't have an appetite for the word. We say to you, young man, I say to you, get up. Whether you're young or not, this can be a new beginning where God calls you young and he puts a new vigor in your life for your household and causes you to work and him empower you to bring that appetite back. We say to you, house of God, there is not an execution order on your life. We will not respond to the word as if God is looking to kill you and cowering at an altar. He's looking to kill the things that have enslaved you. We're going to respond as men who are blessed because our eyes have been allowed to see the lamb. Today we say we must rise and eat. We must stand up. Take our staff in our hand. Put our sandals on our feet. And move to inspire those that are around you. Before we move into a time of worship. Heads of households. We keep telling you, and I'm going to say it again, the best way for you to find empowerment is to learn to pour into those that are around you, to call into them, tell them to stand up, say, my child, rise from the dead. Then the best thing that you could do in a response to a word like this is not spend the entire time in self-reflection, but look to see how you can raise up your households that are next to you. It's not a pastor's job to lay his hands on your family. It is your job. Yeah. You are the priest of your household. And whatever amount of disqualification you have felt. In God's eyes he says. You are the head. Yeah. Rise in your calling. And raise your family up along with you. Now is the time for us to recognize. That we are an extension of the son of God himself. You are the salvation of your family. He made you the head of the household so that you could be a priest to them. Ask, seek, and knock for the one thing that matters so that you will be fed and you have something to feed those that are around you with. Church, the door will be opened to you. As we begin to pray, we are praying in agreement with God that if you seek, you will find. If you ask, you will receive. If you begin knocking now that God is going to open a door to you that you have not had yet. We're not groveling before our Father. We're asking the one who gives good gifts 
and expecting that he will give you new empowerment. Lift your hands as pastor begins to pray. Mighty God, we come before you. We are asking for an increased hunger for the whole Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb that was given for us. Lord, we are seeking that which is healing in us, that our households may experience your resurrection power. Lord, we are knocking on the door of heaven. Lord, and we are hearing your words to us that say, stand up, my sons. Stand up. Rise up. Get up. Because you are with us. And our families, our households are in the making and in the balance of us finding the power, the resurrection power that you are giving to us in this place.